0: All right, good morning. Happy holiday weekend, right? Um, I am because we got some kids in here, I'm gonna be quicker than normal, but don't get excited about that. I don't like getting here. Uh and I'm gonna read a little bit more than normal, not just because uh just because of what I'm doing this morning. I we're in chapter eleven. We're gonna be in the whole chapter for Second Corinthians. It's a long chapter, but you'll you'll see it preaches itself. But as I've been going through, we've been going, if you're new to Crossview, we've been going through this letter that Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians, and I have people that I read it with, if you will. There's authors that have written about the book that I enjoy kind of having an imaginary dialogue with, and one of them uh, kind of set this section up beautifully with a story, and I can't like, I just want to read it. So you'll, you'll like this, I think. First service liked it. So there was a party going on downstairs, but the company president wasn't at it. Normally, he enjoyed a good party with the best of them, but today wasn't the day. He knew the business was heading for difficult times, and there was a great deal of hard work to be done if they were to stay afloat in in an uncertain economic future. They had a fine product. They had done well in the past, but the world was changing, and if they didn't keep ahead of the game, they would be finished. There wouldn't be any reason for a party then. The noise of laughter and singing drifted up to his office, and it irritated him. They didn't understand how serious the situation was, and he suspected he knew who was leading the fun and games. A couple of middle-ranking executives who never quite did a proper day's work, who were always ready to show off to the others, always the life and soul of the party, but who were somehow always absent when the really difficult tasks had to be faced. He sighed and turned back to the papers on his desk, And as he did so, there was a tap on the door. It was his assistant. Sorry to trouble you, sir, he said. I know this is a bad time and you've got better things to do, but a couple of us were just thinking it might really help if you could come and join the party. Even if it's only for five minutes or so, people would like to see you. The laughter and merry noises came more loudly through the open door. He'd never be able to concentrate now anyway. So he got up from the desk, loosened his tie, and went with a wry smile to the assistant Uh, Yeah, with a wry smile to the assistant, he went downstairs. A huge cheer went up as they all saw him. And there, just as he'd guessed, were the two executives. They were organizing a complicated but silly game involving a tub of water, paper hats, apples, pears, and a coin. The point seemed to be to make people look as ridiculous as possible while trying to eat an apple or for the bold ones to pick the coin off the bottom of the tub with their teeth. Several people had been trying it without much success, and there was much splashing and giggling and cheering. The president accepted a drink, stood watching from the edge of the crowd, thinking of the papers on his desk and the future of the company, and one of the ringleaders said in a loud voice, I know who'd be good at this, our president, just the man for a good apple. The happy throng cheered and looked across at him. His assistant shot him an anxious glance. It was clear they were simply wanting to make him look stupid, to have a laugh at his expense. So for a moment, he hesitated, and then to more cheers, he took off his tie, and he stepped forwards. There was a glint in his eye. He remembered playing this game 20, no, 30 years ago as a teenager. There was a technique. He may just be able to do it. They put a paper hat on his head. They tied his hands behind his back. He knelt down on the floor in front of the tub. Suddenly the room went quiet. Then in a flash, he plunged his head through the bobbing apples and pears straight down to the bottom. A second later, he brought it up again and in a single movement stood up with the coin between his teeth. The biggest cheer of the day rang around the room. He pulled a hand free and held up the coin, motioning for silence. All right, he said. You've seen I can play the fool. But let me tell you this, I know how to find money even at the bottom of a bucket of water and you lads obviously don't. If you want to find coins in your pockets, you'd better watch what I do over the next week or two. Otherwise, you're going to drown at the bottom of the tub. After all, and here he looks straight at the two ringleaders, you're prepared to put up with people telling you to do silly things. How about putting up with me telling you how to make this company a roaring success? And with that, he finished his drink. He put on his tie. He shook hands with the ringleaders and he went back upstairs to his desk. (laughs) I like it. It's a good story. And it's a great kind of transition into what's happened. If you've been with us, you kind of know. We're in chapter 11. I told you if you were with us last week, chapter 10, 11, and 12 are kind of one unit. So we aren't even... We aren't even going to wrap it up this week, but we're going to get to really the meat. Chapter 11 is long, you're going to feel it. And because we're keeping it short, I only have one point for you. So we're going to work our way through this text that kind of preaches itself, but I just have one point at the end, but it's a really important point. It's one that even when we get there, I think most of you are going to know what I'm saying is absolutely true, but if you're honest, it's sometimes hard to believe and hard to live. So that's where we're going to go. Again, we'll be a little quicker than normal, but we're still going to take a little bit of time. And if you want to follow along, we're going to work our way through this 33 verse chapter, chapter 11, but it's marvelous. This is is some of Paul at his best. I love it. Picking up in verse one, I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Again, remember, you'll see this in a second if you weren't with us last week, but these outsiders have come in to Corinth, and they've tried to kind of take over this church that Paul planted. And they're putting Paul down in order to lift themselves up. And so Paul's like, and they, they, they're playing what we talked about, this game of triumphalism. This I'm better than you kind of game. And Paul's like, I don't play that game. Followers of Jesus don't play that game, but because of what's going on, if you ever read the book of Proverbs, there's a proverb that says, sometimes you answer a fool according to his folly. That's what Paul's going to do. He's going to play their game, but he's going to play the fool. Even, I don't know if you've ever did like literature study, but sometimes it would be like you'd write a play or a skit or something and and you'd want to critique the emperor or the king, but you can't do it. So you put it in the mouth of the fool. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Paul's kind of doing that literally here as he writes to the Corinthians. He's going to play the fool. Please bear with me, for I am, hes Old Testament roots right here, I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. We'll get into this, but Paul's like, you're following false teachers, and they're making promises that they can't fulfill, and you're leaving the path that leads to life in Christ, and you're going down a path that only leads to death. So, so don't do that. I'm jealous for you. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. And I'm afraid that you were, I know you were devoted to Christ, but you've been distracted. And I'm afraid that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. And he's going to reference the story in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. We'll circle back to this in about 10 verses. You're being corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, the Satan, the satanic. He says, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach. And here again, we don't know everything that's going on. Books are written about what was going on. We don't really know. (laughs) But what we do know, they're not talking about a a Jesus different than the Jesus of Nazareth. They're they're talking about that Jesus, but the substance of what they're saying about him does not map with his character. Paul's like, yeah, you're, you're using the name Jesus, but that's not the Jesus we introduced you to. It, they, they're a different kind of spirit than the one you received. Paul's told us in another letter, the fruit of the spirit of God, the, the, the fruit of the spirit that Jesus has poured out upon us is a fruit that bears love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Paul says, I don't see any of that. This is not what you're experiencing through these outsiders is not. That's a different spirit. It's a different Jesus. And then he says it's a different kind of gospel than the one you believe. We were the ones who taught you about Jesus. We saw you believe. This is a different gospel. It's a triumphalistic. It's distorted. It's not, as we've been talking about from the beginning, it's not cruciformed. It's not shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse five, I don't consider myself, and Paul's, I mean, he's standing kind of toe-to-toe right now. Like he's, He wants this church to wake up, and he believes they will, I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these quote-unquote super apostles. I think the Greek is like superlative apostle who teach such things. I mean, they, they show off. They're these fancy speakers. I, I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. I know Jesus. I know what I'm talking about. And you know, we've made this clear to you in every possible way. You first believed when we preached to you the good news. Verse 7, when I, was, was I wrong? We're going to get into some of, the, some of the stuff they're using against Paul. Was I wrong when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return? I, quote unquote, robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so I could serve you at no cost. And when I was with you and didn't have enough to live on, I did not become a financial burden to anyone. I mean, I'm such a horrible person, Paul says, right? For the brothers who came from Macedonia, they brought me all that I needed. So I've never been in burden to you, and I never will be. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, no one in all of Greece will ever stop me from boasting about this. No, I did not enter into this kind of relationship with you. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows that I love you. Now, we could say more about this. I'll be relatively quick. But it was interesting this week, even getting into kind of friendship in the first century Roman world. And how much of friendship was actually like Some kind of trade-off. Oftentimes in the first century, you, in a sense, bought your friends. And some of what's happening here is these super apostles, quote unquote, have come into Corinth and they have been accepting the support from Corinth and and they're presenting themselves as very important and very impressive people. And the church in Corinth is like, oh, we feel so good because we are the ones who are supporting these super apostles. We're friends with them. And Paul, he, he does. I mean, he, t- he accepts support from other churches. But when he came to Corinth, he knew it wasn't a good idea for the sake of the gospel. And so he worked with his hands in Corinth. He built tents. And actually, in the first century, working with your hands was, was kind of humiliating. It wasn't a high status thing to do. And so the Corinthians are embarrassed. And the super apostles are like, "Why? Are you, this guy works with his hands. What are you doing? We don't, we don't work with our hands. We're so important. And so Paul's kind of defending himself against some of this logic. And he's, I'm doing this for love. I, I'm doing this so you understand what Jesus is all about. And he says in verse 12, I'm going to continue doing what I've always done. And he wants to be clear, these, because these super apostles are, claim, again, claiming they're apostles of Jesus. And, and Paul says, look, I'm doing this to undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. Their work is nothing like ours. And he's going to, I mean, as he plays the fool, as we continue in the next few minutes, you're going to see how radically different a life shaped by the cross looks. And Paul actually is living it. You're going to see it. Verse 13, these are false apostles. And this is going to be very strong. It just gives you a sense of the gravity of what Paul is dealing with. They're deceitful workers. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And I'm not surprised, even Satan, see we're full circle there, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. I mean, he's saying these false super apostles are servants of Satan. (laughs) And I was even thinking about this, you know, we, we, back in our Babylon series, we were talking about the demonic and the satanic, and I've been using Babylon language even as we've gone through Corinthians here. And if you remember back in one of the, maybe it was the origin of Babylon, one of those early sermons that I did in our previous series, I talked about how in the Bible, quite often, the demonic is what comes into your life and brings disorder. The demonic seeks to destroy, to tear apart The demonic is often at work in your life when you just feel out of control. And what happens, the craftiness of the serpent, the the craftiness of the satanic is that the satanic will come along in the midst of your disorder with a false order. It's not the true path that leads to life. It still leads to death, but it feels so much better than our disorder, so we run into the false order. And that's a bit of what's happened. These triumphalistic false teachers have come in with a false order into some of the chaos in Corinth, and the Corinthians have bought it. They drank the Kool-Aid. Actually, does anybody drink Kool-Aid? I haven't seen anybody drink Kool-Aid for a while, but it's a phrase from my day. They drank the Kool-Aid. They bought it. Hook, line, and sink. All right, so let's pick up now in verse 16. We're going to get kind of into the thrust of this. I'm going to try to kind of try to make this relatively clear. And, and, and one of the things I want to say is as we go through this, you, I'll try to make it clear, but I envision, have you ever had to like say something and it's like so awful to have to say it, you're like gagging as you get it out? Paul is going to play the fool, but it honestly disgusts him. I, I, you'll see, like, I, I kind of feel like he's like gagging. He's like, yuck, I can't believe I just said it, but I'm playing the fool. This is your game. I'm going to play it. So got to keep that in mind as we go through this. Again, I say, don't think that I'm a fool to talk like this. But even if you do, listen to me as you would to a foolish person while I also boast a little. I'm going to play your game. I'm going to boast I mean, I know I should only boast in the Lord, but I'm going to boast a little, but I'm going to boast in my weakness. That's what we've been talking about last few weeks. He says such boasting is not from the Lord. This This is not a game that we would play. This is like Babylonian, but I'm going to play it and I'm going to play the fool to show you how foolish this is. I'm acting like a fool. And since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. I mean, even there, let me just say this at this point. These super apostles, these false apostles have come along, and you can imagine them saying things like this. And I'll, I'll try to even make it more tangible for you as we get into Paul's list for contrast. But they would see things like, man, look at how comfortable my life is. So comfortable. Look at how easy God makes my life work. I mean, look at all the favor God has for me. I'm so secure. Never worry. I'm so important. People respect me. I've got such status. Just... Just look at how great my life is. And then look at Paul. Why would you follow him? Look at me. I've got it all together. That's some of what you're hearing from these super... They're boasting in themselves and what they've done. And and we'll get into this even more next week, how much God favors them. I just love what Paul does. Verse 19, Paul's concerned. After all, you think you are so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. These false apostles, they're fools, and this is what Paul sees happening. You put up with it when someone enslaves. You've been enslaved. You put up with it when someone takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything, slaps you in the face. And if I understand correctly, in Jewish culture, one of the biggest insults you can receive is a slap across the face. Paul's like, that's what you're putting up with. And, and this is what he, look at what he says. I'm ashamed to say we've been too weak to do that. I mean, Paul's weakness has been the issue. We're too weak to enslave you. We're trying to empower you. We're trying to set you free. We're too weak. Instead of lifting ourselves up, we've been lowering ourselves so we can lift you up. We're so weak. What are we thinking? Foolish. But good job. You've been captured by these false teachers. Slapped in the face. Good job. We're too weak for that. But whatever they dare to boast about, again, I'm talking like a fool. I can't stand this. Okay, I'll boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Here's the big gag. Are they servants of Christ? I am a madman, but I've served him far more. That's what he's doing. It's just brilliant rhetoric. And then, okay, so here we go. I've worked harder. This is where I want to do the contrast. And I know this is like not, this wouldn't have happened in first century Rome, but this will bring it into context for you. Super apostles show up and say, you guys should come by and see the five-star hotel we're staying in. It's awesome. We were at another church a couple weeks ago. Let me just tell you about the five-star hotel we were at there, Ocean View. That's what they're boasting about. What does Paul boast about? I come to town, oh yeah, prison more often. Super apostles, they're in five-star, I stay in prison. I show up, I preach the gospel, disturbance, they throw me in prison. Sometimes it's for a night, sometimes a couple nights, sometimes for a week. But I've been in prison more often. There we go. Super apostles are like, Man, God tell you, this hotel, massage. Best massage. Oh, I had this crick in my neck. I just couldn't, oh, massage just felt so good. What does Paul say? Yeah, I've been whipped times without number. I've faced death again and again. Five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. That's from Deuteronomy 25, verse 3. It says you'd never whip somebody more than 40 times because that would humiliate your neighbor. I don't know why 40 is the number. So as good Pharisaism would go, you in the first century, you would whip someone 39 times. So if you miscounted, you didn't go over. Paul said that happened to me five times. Three times I was beaten with rods that happened in Rome. In in, in the Roman Empire, you would get put face down and just pounded on the back. Super apostles, man, massage, so good. Paul, whips and beatings. But I'm boasting in my weakness. He says, once I was stoned. You can read about that in Acts 14. There was a mob that turned on him. Three times I was shipwrecked. This is just getting into some of Paul's story and some of what he had to deal with. Time, like Travel back in the first century was radically different. Three times I was shipwrecked trying to, to, to spread the gospel. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've told a few people, Actually, one of the things I've really enjoyed about doing this series is I found an old seminary class by one of my favorite New Testament teachers on 2 Corinthians. And so every week I just sit down and I just take notes. I just love to hear him teach through the text. And I've, I've heard him teach through this text on several different occasions. And every time he comes to this passage, he always pauses and says, this is the one that gets me. He said, just imagine 24 hours being pickled in salt water. And he says I don't like to stay awake at night. Just imagine you're not sleeping when you are floating holding on to a piece of wood in the middle of darkness. Baking in the sun during the day. And maybe I mean maybe maybe the worst part is the psychological piece of I don't know if or when I will ever be saved. I'm just floating. I'm just floating. I mean, this is, he would say every time something goes wrong in his life, he would remember Paul. Just that was the thing that got him. A, a night and a day floating in the open sea. You just think, I, I haven't seen anything yet, right? Keep going. And again, I remember I said, uh, what, what I just picked out things that I think are just idols for humanity all the way through, but comforts, Super Apostle's telling you how comfortable you can be, how easy life's going to be, how secure you'll be. Let's see if Paul uses the words comfort, ease, and safety, or the word danger more often in the next few verses, okay? I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers, right? Imagine, you don't have bridges everywhere. You and I are used to bridges I danger from robbers. Danger from my own people, the Jews. Danger from the Gentiles. Danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. Super, everywhere I go, it's just so easy. Paul's like, everywhere I go, is danger. I'm following Jesus. I've been sent by Jesus, and I see danger everywhere. <laughs> That's what Paul says. And, I mean, this is, I mean, it's cutting to your heart. I face danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I've been betrayed by people. I trusted. I've worked hard and long. It just, he just kind of throws it in here. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. That, that, that gives you the picture that as he's building tents, he's under the demand of whoever's buying them from him, that he's, he's got to work all the way through the night to get his work done. But he's, but he's boasting about this, right? He's, he's, but he's boasting the fool. I've been hungry. I've been thirsty. I've gone without food. And then this last one here. So let me go back to my little contrasts. Super apostles like, come in. see it. See it after the, the night. Oh man, bed so comfortable. Steamiest bath ever. Amazing massage. And I, I don't even think I could find words to tell you how soft and comfortable my bathrobe is. Oh my goodness. It, like, sparkles white. It's amazing. Shines, and it's so... I mean, I just... I wish you could feel how soft this bathrobe is on your cheek. It's the best. What does Paul say? I've shivered in the cold. He's probably in prison when this is happening. Shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. So you have to feel the contrast. And I know it hits hard. Like, believe me, I know. I it's one of the reasons I love this text, because it's brilliantly written. It's kind of funny when you understand his sarcasm, but it's also incredibly challenging. It's incredibly challenging for us today, I think. And it's reorienting, but it's, but it's also life-saving. Because if you and I listen to the false teachers of Babylon, we're going to end up in bad places. <laughs> but if you want to know the life of Jesus, you've got to keep your eyes on the cross. You can never take your eyes off the cross. The cross is not this one-time, get-out-of-hell-free kind of card. It is, it, is, it is the example that we follow that leads us into a life that we only find in Jesus Christ. And Paul believes that. And then verse 28, if you'll just believe me on this, I, I think you'll get it, but I, I'll tell you, I read this verse differently now than I ever did before I was a pastor. <laughs> Besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. I have the daily burden of one church. Paul had many churches, but I understand it. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Paul cares for his flock. Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? That's what he's doing here. He's he's fighting for the church in Corinth. Don't be led astray. And then we get to this last section. And again, this won't take us all the way through to the end, but... He's, he's doing this boast, but he's boasting as the fool. And I read it last week, but I want to read it again. I did a little bit more research on it, and I got a little picture for you in a second. But if you weren't here last week, I shared that uh, in the first century in the Roman military, one of the highest honors that you could get was to be the first soldier over the wall in a siege. And if you were the first soldier over the wall in a siege, you were given the Corona Moralis. It was a crown that looked like the city walls. So that's what we got. There's a picture of a statue, and that's, that's people's, they, they, the corona morale. See, it kind of looks like the city walls. It would have been, I think, maybe out of gold, a very precious metal, very expensive, engraved. But usually, if you're the first one over the wall, you don't live to tell about it. If you do live to tell about it, you might not have many eyewitnesses, right? And so if you were the first one over the wall, you went back to Rome and you had to swear an oath saying, I was, I I swear, I was was the first one over the wall. So I know know that this is in Paul's mind. He's about to tell a story that, that again, in in the game that the super apostles are playing would be a a story of great victory, great glory. And the whole point is Paul is a coward. And we'll get into this part more next week, but it's almost like it should be the miracle story, but there's no miracle. (laughs) And Paul loves it. Paul loves it. Verse 30, if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. That's what we've been tracking. Here's his oath. God, the father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I'm not lying. But instead of being the first one over the wall, when I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas kept guards at the city gates to catch me, and I had to be lowered like a coward in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him, and I ran away like a dog with his tail between his legs. That's what Paul is saying. And the point is for you and I, for the church in Corinth, to feel, to hear, to have a sense of the contrast of what it means to embrace a life shaped by the cross, a cruciform life. So that's our text. I love it. It's such a great text. But let me give you my one point. Here's my one point. Your circumstances are not the primary indicator of whether or not you have God's favor. Let me say it again, a little different way. Your current, because even this morning, our worship team prayed Stu said, hey, everybody, just give two words. (laughs) Give two words about how your week went. And I mean, a lot of people are like exhausted, chaotic, confusing. We we said that just in the and then we came in here, we worship God. Why? Because, Because our circumstances are not the primary indicator of whether or not God loves us. Whether or not God is forced. That's part of the super apostles argument and that's where it all crumbles for Paul. Yeah, you're in five-star hotels and I'm in prison, but I know that God loves me and nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Your circumstances are not the primary indicator of whether or not you have God's favor. The cross is. Jesus Christ, arms stretched out on the cross, is all you need. Why do you think Paul can say, I'm grateful in all circumstances? Because he believes that there's one God who created all things. And if you want to know the heart of this God, you just look to the cross. And you find out that this God has never forgotten you. And that he's done everything that you need him to do to rescue you and save you and put you back together. You can clap for that. That's good news. And you have to believe that. You, you have, but you don't know, you have, you have to believe that. Because it is countercultural to go the way of weakness and vulnerability. But Paul believes that if you do, if you are honest about your weakness, if you confront your weakness, if you stand before a holy God in awe and majesty, right, Mike, you stand before God in holy awe, you will recognize your shortcomings. <laughs> and then you will glory that He's looked upon you he loves you. He loves you so much that he goes to the cross so that you and I don't have to. I mean, that's who this God is. All Paul needs is the cross. And he knows that he knows that even if life is incredibly difficult, God loves him. And God has not abandoned him. He knows it. The super apostles say, look at us and look at Paul. Paul says, man, just look at Jesus. Everything was created through him and for him. Paul says, you can only look at my life if you look at it through his life. First, take a long, hard look at the light of Jesus. Then look at my life. Then we'll talk about my life in light of the cross. That's the only way it's going to make sense. So if you're with me, maybe, maybe you've been tracking. I think you have. You probably wouldn't be at church you know, where we worship a crucified Messiah, if you, weren't, if you weren't in some way, whether you're all in on Jesus, or maybe it's your first Sunday in a long time at church, but you're in some way drawn to the beauty of co-suffering, self-sacrificial love, there's, there's something incredibly beautiful about the story that, that God, who has everything you could ever imagine, in perfect harmony, Jesus, with the Father and the Spirit, decides to enter into our broken mess, <laughs> to redeem us. You're drawn in by that. It's beautiful. The cross is beautiful. I've been saying for weeks, the cruciform standard is our ultimate standard of beauty. It's stunning. But I don't know. You read through this with Paul, it's incredibly hard to carry a cross. It's hard to fathom. It's hard to live out. So I invited you last week to spend time sitting. I told you last week, find a piece of art that speaks to you of Jesus on the cross sculpture, a painting, whatever speaks to you, and spend 15, just 15 minutes just sitting at the foot of the cross with Jesus in prayer, reflecting on the beauty of that moment and how it changes everything. Even when life isn't going the way you imagine it to go, God has told you all you need to know when Jesus hung on the cross. And maybe you say, man, I, I want to understand that. I'm, I, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm still learning. Again, Mike talked about Sunday school. I think all of our Sunday school classes are going to be awesome. I love our Sunday school classes. We'll be talking about small groups more in upcoming weeks. And I just felt like a good time to talk. I'm gonna, I do a discipleship class called Formed. I'm going to do it as I normally do it after the new year. But I've been wanting to kind of do offshoots because I only go so deep in Formed and I want to go deeper. So I'm going to do a class uh, in a couple of weeks called Formed by Story. And uh, the reason I'm saying it today is because we're going to look at this theme, which is totally tied to the upside down nature of the kingdom of God, flipping Babylon on its head. Weakness over triumphalism, the last will be first. That, that, that it's kind of Philippians chapter 2. Jesus humbled himself going to the cross, and the Father exalted and vindicated him. I love it. So we're going to start in Genesis, and we're going to just track this theme, that the heart of God has seemed to always communicate this through the scriptures, and it leads right into Jesus. You can join us for that if you want. And now I just want to head into communion, and let me say a few things. The cross is our standard of beauty. It looks like death. And it feels like loss. And it will make us weak. It will. We'll be confronted with our weaknesses. So I want to remind you that you and I need help. We can't do this. We can't carry the cross all by ourselves. We need each other. And we need Jesus. We need Jesus. Again and again, we come to Jesus. We return to Jesus. Jesus is the one who filled death with his life. That's why Easter is so important. And that's why we have nothing to fear. So we need Jesus. And so what I'm going to invite you to do this morning as we move forward with our time of communion, if if this is your first time at church in a long time or maybe ever, we're going to celebrate communion. I'm going to invite you to just, it's a prayer. I'm going to invite all of us to pray the same prayer, actually. It's a prayer I I pray multiple times a day. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm going to invite you to just, the worship team is going to come up in a second and play music, all of us, just to reflect upon the cross. Now, maybe the Holy Spirit has something very specific to talk to you about and tend to that. I mean, God knows what he's doing. Listen to him. But if you're not necessarily sure of what, what's, what, what's leaning, lean into that. Just, and even reflect on every word Lord, Master, Jesus, you know, this one who came on Christmas, <laughs> Christ, the Messiah, the, the one who was sent to restore God's people. You know, mercy on me, a sinner. Just think about all those words and what, just pray it over and over, not, not even fast, just slowly, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If it's the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, prayer like that, the first time you've ever addressed God, if, if for whatever reason the Spirit of God is stirring in you this morning and you, you have a deep sense, maybe you never understood that, that God loves you as much as he does. But you finally, but the spirit of God is moving and you have a deep sense that, that God died for you. And that all the wreckage you've brought into this world, he can handle it. He's, 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 he's dealt with it on the cross and he wants to show you a new way and a new life. I'd love to talk with you. if It's your first time praying that prayer. But if, you're, if it's not, just keep praying. Get to a million, get to two million. Just keep talking to Jesus. Returning to his feet, sitting with him. Let Jesus be your Savior, your Redeemer. Let him shower you with mercy.